Hey guys, this is Ed Quinn from Tyler Perry's The Oval. But right now, I'm in the cave. I'm in the man cave with Elias. We're hiding out. We're bunkered down. This is the Man Cave Chronicles. Download it. Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to the party, pal. You're my boy, boo. Yo, Adrian. I with interviews of amazing guests from the world of pop culture. Oh, yeah. TV. Nice. Movies. Oh, I love the movies. Comedy and more. From deep inside the man cave, your host, Elias. Hey, welcome to the cave. Happy to be here. How are you? you? Everyone needs either a bunker, a cave, you know, some sort of like, you know, an island, somewhere to hide right now. So, uh, Oh, I know, man. I, I I know. It's probably more of a figurative cave than a literal cave, but I'm just going to imagine that we're somewhere safe, you and I. Yeah. How you been dealing with all this? You know, to be honest, um, I can't complain at all. You know, my mom's in her 80s. She's super safe. Um, besides that, you know, I, I shot a season of television during quarantine. Um, you know, uh, the other series that I was on, One Day at a Time, aired during the quarantine. Um, it's coming to CVS next week. I'm working on a couple other projects. Um, it's, you know, I, I'm just, I feel real blessed right now. You know, I've stayed busy. I've stayed safe and the people that I love, fortunately were, were safe. So got a bunch yeah. of friends who were first responders. They're all, you know, made it through, you know, emergency room doctors and paramedics and firefighters. And so I'm just, uh, you know, I don't know, man, for me, uh-huh. I'm just super, super grateful. What do you think? Do we, do we, are we going to see a, a light at the end of the tunnel or what? You know, I don't know. I, I, if I'm just to be really honest, I just don't know. There's so much about this disease that we don't know that much about. We don't know if there's going to be a second wave. We don't know it. You know, the information, it's so hard to get information to. Everyone's in their silo. Everyone hears their own echo, echo chamber. Um, it's, it's, you know, it, it just doesn't, uh, it's so difficult. So you just, you, you gotta just hope that this is all going to come to an end slowly, whether it is, you know, a vaccine that, you know, it's been expedited, but works or, you know, a, a global herd immunity. Um, you know, I, it's, 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 it's hard to tell. It really is. I know. I know. So man, yeah. So I was doing some research on you, man. So what, what you've done. So you have a new show, you have The Oval, so you play the president out yes. there, you have One Day at a Time, yes. you have an, another yes. role on The American Pie Presents, you've done numerous roles of TV shows, you, you're in a band, you modeled, have I missed anything? Uh, that's pretty much it, you know, like a lot of like, you know, tarring roofs and roofing when I couldn't uh, make a living, you know, when I first got to Hollywood, um, you know, I was a, yeah, no, I mean, I think you, I'm an avid snowboarder and surfer, waste most of my time, you know, <laughs> pursuing that, you know, and going fishing and stuff. So I'd probably be a lot more successful if I didn't have uh, hobbies that distract me all the time. Uh, you got to have some hobbies. <laughs> yeah, you really do. <laughs> so for the, let's get to know a little more about you for the, for the listeners. Uh, where are you originally from? I'm originally from Berkeley, California. Um, I'm actually like fifth generation Bay Area. Um, uh, my, uh, my father was a professor at Cal. Um, he grew up in uh, Marin County. Um, my mom did as well. Um, and, you know, he went to USF and then uh, went off, got his PhD and came back and got, got a job at Cal. So I grew up in the Berkeley Hills, uh, which was just, 
I don't know if there's a more incredible idyllic place to grow up when I grew up there, like in the Berkeley Hills. Um, so going up, if you, if this is geographically the Bay area, Berkeley's the East Bay straight across the Bay from San Francisco. And as you go up the Hills past the university, it goes into Tilden regional park. I think it's, I don't know, 39 miles of, uh, uh, it might've been square miles. It might be more than that. Um, so I have this massive, literally out my back door, I have this massive regional park and oh, a wow. lake to fish and trails to hunt and, you know, or to hunt the uh, trails to ride our bikes and, and run around and just be like, you know, Huck Finn. And then you go down the hill. And I mean, I'm in one of the most, you know, colorful, volatile, diverse, chaotic, you know, cities in the world, Berkeley, California. And um, I just, I don't know, I, I couldn't, I, don't, I couldn't imagine growing up anywhere different. Um, and uh, it's, I'm, I feel really, uh, really fortunate to have had that sort of upbringing. Yeah. Well, it's good that you grew up in that thing like that. Cause like now these days, you know, with technology and everything, some kids don't even want to go outside anymore. I, and I'm one of the biggest hypocrites too. I mean, it's really, I, I mean, I literally realized, um, you know, I was like in third grade and I was taking the bus from the Berkeley Hills all the way down, it would loop all the way through Berkeley, almost to Oakland, and then double back all the way to the little uh, the little school that I went to, the school of Madeline. And um, I mean, young. I mean, I, we'd get on our bicycles, and I would just be gone. It would be that kind of thing, you know. We didn't have streetlights, but you know, come home with streetlights, come home with sunset, you know, come home with dinner time, and just loose. And the adventures that we would go on, and sometimes I put into context that I was like you know, nine, ten years old, and I'm on a, I'm you know, we're on skateboards at the abandoned. California school for the deaf uh, swimming pool, skating this pool. And there's like, you know, all of a sudden a rival gang shows up and it turns out one of the, some of these skaters are in, there's a huge fight breaks out. And like, you know, obviously in the, we're in the middle of a riot and I'm like, I'm in fourth grade or something. I mean, it's just, it's that kind of stuff where, you know, I think I, you, you, I'm about to think I'm a little older than you are, but you know, we, we grew up like uh, free range kids. And now, yeah. I mean, you know, it, and it's, and the hip and all of my friends say the same thing. They all say, you know, I'm the biggest hypocrite. No way I'm going to let my kid grow up the way that I grew up. And I don't know what that's media, social media, paranoia, too many datelines, you know, like, you know, abducted kids vanishing forever. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. And I don't know how it's going to turn out long term. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Where did you grow up? I grew up in, uh, in Massachusetts. Met, and, and did you grow up like a free range kid, loose on the streets, come home? With oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 We, I remember coming home, throwing my bag and going right outside with our bikes or go to the park, play baseball. It was one of those things. And we knew we had to be home for dinner and then we were out again after that. Yeah. Yeah. That was the other thing. Loose at night, yeah. running around. Yeah. 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 Not anymore. But yeah. Like, no. yeah I have, to, I have two yeah, young kids. I have two young kids and I'm always like, yeah, they're not going to be doing stuff like that. And they're not saying out late or. It's funny how yeah, things turn, what's things wrong turn with around. This? I don't know. What's wrong? With, I mean, it, it's, we, we, are, we are literally, you know, you and I could have our pictures next to each other, next to hypocrite in the, uh, in the dictionary. I mean, but it's something has changed, and you and I are both victims of it because, and by the way, back then, I mean, I think the sibling when I was growing up, I was a kid running loose, like the 70s and 80s. I mean, that's, that was scary times. The number of serial killers that were actually, like, operating back then, I don't know if you you know, uh, that you watch that HBO series, uh, I'll be gone in the dark, um, heartbreaking series, but you know, about how, uh, Patton Oswalt's wife, 
you know, really helped catch the, the East area murder, um, East area rapist, or he some acronym, I can't remember now, but, um, it's really great series on HBO, really sad, but they started going through all the serial killers that were operating in the Bay area at that time. And I'm kind of going like, Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah. The, the, the pillowcase rapist and the stinky rapist. And like, like there was all these crazy psychopaths running around, not to mention, you know, uh, you know, the Zodiac killer and the hillside yeah. strangler and, and my parents were just like, yeah, great. Just be on, be on <laughs> try and make it home before dark. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, don't know. I know. I know. So like, so growing up, like giving idea that this is what you wanted to do, get into. You know, I don't think I had, I don't really have any idea. I, I, I grew up, you know, like I said, my father was as a professor. He's a renowned professor at, at Berkeley. Um, you know, he was a, 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 you know, a Rhodes Scholar. His friend, I mean, at our dinner table, like presidents of universities, Nobel Prize winners, you know, chairmen of departments at Cal. I mean, those, those were just his friends. Those were his peers. Those were the guys he played tennis with. And so I kind of grew up in this, in this sort of like, academic silo and also berkeley is you know it's the people's republic of berkeley it's like you don't really have any connection to the outside world and normal stuff so i didn't even know how you got into the film industry growing up it never really occurred to me um mm. because it just wasn't something anyone i knew had ever done and i don't know i just hadn't done the math and i went to berkeley and i was you know basically going to go in pre-law Somewhere along the way, I realized I didn't really want to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer on TV. Um, and it probably happened around the time that some, you know, photographer came up to me at Ocean Beach, San Francisco when I was surfing and asked if I wanted to, like, ever thought about modeling, which I hadn't. And, um, or I kind of had because there were a lot of guys from Southern California who came to Cal, two of my friends. One of them, a guy named Mark Jeppe, who was, you know, he literally took his junior year off at Cal and went to Milan and came back and next thing he's the, he's the Giorgio Armani guy. But all of them, they all had these like books of pictures and the pictures were kind of stupid. Most of them, you know, them, you know, laughing, running down the beach with a surfboard, you know, and them like with ice cream, you know, you know, on a date with some girl, it looked kind of stupid, but here I am working. I worked at a restaurant all through, um, when I was at Berkeley, a place called Casa Rinda. And it was, uh, you know, I was the valet and, you know, I was making minimum wage, which I think then was like $5 an hour before taxes. And, um, you know, I get tips though, but I'd be out there and it'd be sweltering hot out in Orinda. Sometimes it would be freezing cold and raining. And I'd make, I don't know, let's say I made 40 bucks a night in tips. These guys would go over to San Francisco and they do two hours of Mervyn's and come home with three, $300 or they do a day for the, for Macy's. And make $1,500. And I'm kind of going, wait, what? And so when I started to get into that, it started. I started to kind of understand the business a little bit better. And when I graduated from Berkeley, I had a choice to go. I'd done an internship with uh, uh, Colwell Banker, commercial real estate. Um, and that's what I thought I was going to go into. But then I got booked into the shows in Europe. Uh, my, my agents just called me and were just like, you are booked into the shows in Paris and Barcelona. I don't know what to do. I asked my parents, they go, well, my dad had been doing a lecture tour and he had a whole bunch of miles on the now defunct TWA airlines. Um, and he just gave me a miles ticket and I went to Europe and I didn't come back for six months. And when I was there, I started doing commercials. I did like 37 commercials in like three years. And then all of a sudden I started going like, Oh, 
and I know, and talking to other models who were going to try and make the jump to acting. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is a gift. This I'm a terrible model. I'm too big. The clothes don't fit. I wasn't, you know, I just looked like some kid who just got out of a fraternity anyway. I didn't really look, these guys were just gorgeous. You go over there and you're like, well, like, I don't look like any of these guys, but if I can make enough money and get myself to LA and get myself into acting class. And so it kind of was this weird detour that just ended up taking me right where I wanted to go. Wow. So when you told your parents, they, this is what you want to do, like what was their reaction? When I first said I wanted to, first I started taking photos and my dad looked at the first photos I looked at and goes, what in God's name is this? Like it's, you know, it's asinine. And they are, I mean, model, I mean, yeah. like, look, I, I, I'm going to sound like I'm going to slag off on modeling and stuff. It was so cool when I did it. You know, I, I, I know now it's a lot different and everybody on Instagram is a model, but then it was a kind of a special thing, but it was also kind of weird. You know, you take all these goofy photos because they didn't look like the photos in the magazine. They're like your test photos, you know, maybe you get a good shot here and there. So the first round of photos I take, it comes in like the Z card, you know, which you're going to hand out to people. And, you know, it's just me running around in my underpants. And, you know, it's my dad just like, oh, my God, what in the hell are you doing? Yeah, I think he thought I was going into like, you know, porn or something. Um, and so he's just shaking his head like, like one exactly what the plan is here. And by that point, fortunately, I'd already gotten an agent in San Francisco and I was going down to Los Angeles. And I got a couple of jobs. And I was making a little bit of money on the side. And then when I wanted to go to Europe, they were always like really wanting me to go travel and stuff. And I, I couldn't afford to travel abroad. So this whole idea of going to Europe, you know, and living in Paris and living in Barcelona, living in, they were like a hundred percent behind that. I thought that was, a, and what an incredible experience, you know, at this age. Um, and so I do, and I'm having all these incredible experiences. And my dad came over, he was doing a lecture in Milan once and I got to see him. My mom and little brother came over. So it was all good. And then about, and I kind of had a plan that I was going to get my stuff together and then I was going to move to LA and I'd come back and I'd come down to LA and the first audition I went on was for Ford probe. Like a Ford, you know, it was an old car yeah. that Ford used to make. And I get this commercial, I book it national commercial. Um, and it pays pretty well and all that kind of stuff. And they saw it, but it was so funny. I was home. It might've been like year two, right. When I was kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I, you know, I, when I would come home, I'd literally just come to my house and throw my bags. I'd go stay with friends and then I would grab my bags and leave. My dad's like, uh, Hey, uh, we gotta, you gotta start figuring out what it is you're going to do. You know, like, well, I gotta take you off. I can't afford you on our car insurance anymore. You need to buy a car. Uh, you, you know, get your health, you gotta get your act together. And I was kind of like, Hey, no, no, I got a whole thing. And he, he's just, I'm sure he's just going, oh, he's, he's not listening to me, but I come home, like literally it was at like a movie like two days later and my dad's sitting there with all this paperwork and he's like, Hey, come here. And I go, you know, he's out there in his chair in the, in the living room, you know, buried in books and stuff. And he goes, this, this came for a Quinn, a Edward Quinn. I didn't know it was you, but it's the screen actors guild. You understand you're in a union. And I'm like, Oh, and this is what happened. I, I booked that one commercial and then I was something called Taft Hartley. And then I did this job in San Francisco and it was like some $700 industrial commercial, but it triggered me that I had to join the union. Like I couldn't do the job to join the union was like 1500 bucks. So this job cost me like $700 to do. And I was so pissed. I, you know, I was trying to figure out a way out of it. Can I get paid and not do it? Cause I didn't know what the screen actually was. So anyway, I got screwed, but then people, you know, my agent was like, this is amazing. You have to do this. You have to pay and get in the union. It's so important. I'm like, fine. 
And so, but I forgot about it. And now my dad's sitting there going, you're in a union. You have health insurance better than the families, the, the university we have. Like you have a pension. If you stick with this, you can actually retire and not be a bum. And I'm like, right on, all right, good, good times. And so it was, it was the funniest thing. I, I'm sure he just like rolled his eyes and was like, oh boy. Um, but so yeah, it's, uh, that was kind of, and then I came down and like, you know, I never asked him for anything. I never, you know, I never asked for a handout. never asked for any money. I had made some money in Europe, bought my first, you know, used pickup truck and like literally packed what I had and drove to LA and never came back. So it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it it is awesome. It all works out. You know, you know, there's a lot of hard years and a lot of uncertainty, but you know, I don't know from where I am right now. I just couldn't feel more blessed. And now you have a starting role on the oval. Now, now, now I'm the president of the United States. So that's right. How exciting! I, I how exciting! How exciting has this project been for you? It's really been. It's it's a it's exciting in so many ways that I mean, other actors will understand for sure. But I mean, you know, the TV shows are a grind. They're really hard. It's a ton of work. It's they. You know, you're on. You know, if you're lucky, I've been so lucky. And I've gone from show to show to show, like one day at a time. Two broke girls, mistresses even like revenge before that, all of them were in LA. So I got to live in Los Angeles to shoot. And it's just, you know, usually so many of my friends, like they live in Atlanta or they live in New Mexico or they live, you know, somewhere, even New York. I mean, you know, if you're from the West coast and your home's here, your family's here. And so I've just been so lucky to work for work here. Now, the thing about the oval is, it shoots so fast that it's like doing a small movie. Like it, the time commitment is so, so brief. And yet it's, you know, the number one rated new show on cable. I mean, the numbers are through the roof, the whole synergy of Tyler Perry coming home to BET. He did this massive deal with Viacom uh, to really sort of, you know, help relaunch and rebrand BET, you know, I guess is one way to put it. Um, and, uh, and everything is just going, you know, and, and launch the streamer BET plus. And so I, I just find myself in this incredible situation where I'm working with one of the most prolific, uh, you know, f- filmmakers, t- entertainment, you know, moguls oh, yeah. in Hollywood right now. The show is so fun and so quick. I love my cast. I love the crew. I love the studio. You know, um, it's so much fun to, to live there, and uh, and yeah. And then I have all this time to do other stuff. Like I can do one day at a time, which airs October sixth. I think it's the sixth, right? Monday, next Monday. It's Monday the sixth. I think so. Okay. Today. Um, yeah, because Thursday is the first, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll pull my calendar right here. I won't mess this up. Uh, bah, 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 six, bah. six is uh, Tuesday. So it's the 5th. Monday the 5th. Okay, so Monday, October 5th. One day at a time, 9 p.m. It's going to air for three weeks. Um, you know, it's being able to do other shows like that, develop. I have two other shows that I'm taking out to pitch right now. I'm, I'm recording music for uh, another show that a friend of mine has done. It's, um, you know, and I, you wouldn't, I wouldn't be afforded any of that if I wasn't on, uh, on Tyler's show. And since Tyler's the studio and the creator and the director and the writer, 
I mean, I can't tell you how many problems that solves in television. Every show that I've been on that, that's imploded, it's because somebody's fighting. The network's fighting with the studio. The studio is fighting with the creator. The creator's fighting with his writing room. The directors are, I, I mean, it's just one thing after the cast, you know, you get these casts that are just, people are just insane. And the show, I've just, I've, I've watched shows implode in every possible way. And I tell my cast on the Oval, I go, you guys have no, a lot of them are real green. This is like their first big show. I go, you guys have no idea how lucky we are. Because mm -hmm. one of the reasons this show's going to be around a long time is Tyler's not going to get in a fight with himself. And, right. that's, and that's really, I can't express to you how many shows I've watched just melt down because of something. And so you take away all that trauma and all that, you know, all those hurdles. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's a dream job, dream. Was this a was this a self tape or audition for this role? It was a really weird audition, and Tyler hasn't yet told me. I I, I figured my my guess is he had his eye on me for some reason. He, I get this, <laughs> I get this random phone call from my agents who go, uh, okay, this is an incoming call, but um, they want you to read for the lead of tyler perry's new show and i'm like what they go yeah his new show the oval on bet i'm like man are you sure they got the right ed quinn because <laughs> i'm doing a little bit of math here and i'm thinking that that's not gonna that they're really not that interested and, and sure enough you know that was and i went into this uh uh the, the, you know audition here which is also a very strange audition in which i was kind of standing in this room and we read a scene and and then Raven, the casting director, asked if I could read another scene. And she goes out of the room for a while and comes back. And she hands me another scene. And I kind of do that one cold. And then, then she starts asking me if I'm available, you know, and how high my quotes are. And I'm kind of this is the weirdest. I'm like, yeah, okay. And I kind of walk out of there going like, I don't know. And then my phone rings with the Georgia phone number. And it's Tyler. And uh, I guess he was watching the whole thing, I guess, whatever. And that began, and then it became a, like a three week of Tyler and I getting to know each other because you know, the way Tyler works, what he can, he just can't suffer fools on the set and he can't deal with pain. You know, with, I mean, look, actors are artists and you know, everyone has their process. Um, but it can slow production down a lot. And, um, you know, I granted it only the final, uh, you know, the final product matters. And there's some people whose process takes a little longer or is a little, you know, more time consuming and Tyler, Tyler can't deal with that. You know, he just can't. And, um, so he has to vet, you know, his cast, especially roles that are kind of, you know, you can't just replace if something doesn't work out. Um, and so, yeah, and the more we talked, the more I was like, oh, I was born to do this show. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and, yeah, so then it was, it was, uh, yeah, well, that was, that was about it. That's awesome. So like, so when you got the role, like how, so how would you describe Hunter? Like what kind of, how did you prepare for the role? Like go and watch something else because you know, you're playing the president of the United States. Yeah, I am. And West Wing is one of my favorite all time shows. I think it's one of the top five best shows in the history of television and the oval is not the west wing it is a completely different show this is you know this is escapism this is super fun you know prime time soapy drama yeah um and it's 
So all of that, and I, you know, and I studied so much American history, especially, you know, like in college and stuff. And so, you know, the funny thing was, is I, I wasn't going to be, uh, be asked to carry a lot of, uh, you know, sort of political history and load, you know, in, in, in the role, which was, which was fine and fun. And then I just had to kind of figure out what my, there was a kind of an easy blueprint for me for the back, you know, with the background of the character and how he became, was a you know, mayor and a governor and, you know, had powerful parents. And if you start going through like famous families and famous history of, you know, yeah. presidents and also presidents have gotten a lot of trouble, I could sort of do like a, ni- a nice like amalgamation of, of, of two or three of them. And um, yeah, and so it just became, a, you know, it, it, it's kind of fun and kind of e- easy because, you know, you kind of have easy templates in American history of, of you know, who the president, you know, who this guy is. And then, uh, you know, just sort of then just load on all the craziness that takes place on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, any challenges playing the character? I mean, for the character itself, not really. But finding the right balance between, I mean, I think Hunter's the best when he's causing problems for everyone else. Um, not making him have too much fun, but someone, you know, who the audience loves to hate. And so far, I, I, in season one, we did a good job of that. I think in season two, we did a better job of that. Um, and, you know, because the show works so fast, you just want to be good. And you want to get do the best you possibly can, knowing that you're probably going to have one take. Um, and so I just prided myself on only ever needing one take and never needing a second take. Um, and, and so, you know, you do these days and it's, it's one thing to do that with one scene, but if you do, you know, 30 scenes in a day and they're all one take and they're all, you know, three to eight pages or whatever, the ability to sort of, you know, memorize it all, internalize it, and then just let it go and let it come out naturally. That's a, maybe a bit of a challenge, but one that I just love, you know, I love when things are difficult. I love if there's a, um, you know, when the stakes are high, it's why I love multicam. I love live television, you know, having a live studio audience because it's, uh, you know, if, if you, if you nail it, it's awesome. And if you face plant, it's brutal and it's hilarious and it's instant that, you know, you just, you just crashed and burned in front of, you know, a thousand people. So on the show, like, how would you, how would you describe the chemistry with you and the first lady there, uh, Victoria Franklin? Oh, you know, Karen Morris is, she's such a sweetheart. She's the opposite of Victoria Franklin. Um, and you know, the minute I, I actually flew out. So once Tyler and I had our discussions and I flew <laughs> out to, uh, um, Atlanta, I, I flew out cause I said, Hey, uh, let me come test with the first ladies. And he's like, man, I would love that. So, you know, he was able to basically like, you know, stand me on a stage and start cycling through the girls that he, you know, was trying to figure out which one would be the right one. And Karen just come to, came in and just, you know, just stole the show. It was, it was a slam dunk. She did such a great job. And at that point, she and I just started working, you know, and working together. And, you know, season one was, you know, it was extra terrifying for her because it was her first big series. And, you know, and it was, it's such a, a workload. Um, this season was way easier. And we had like, you know, a lot more fun because it was a lot more even under quarantine and, and with all the chaos that was going on. Um, 
we had such a good time and uh you know it's it's what's amazing is tyler has a real knack for casting really good people and he also really it's tyler's set he may be the director he may be the you know the writer behind this camera but it's almost like he's the you know the show's called tyler perry's the oval yeah and having that kind of presence having like a it's like a, you know it's like a great football coach i call him coach that's what i, I call him coach that's what i get hey, coach you want me to hit here and do this thing over here yeah because it's it's his set and everybody falls in line behind him and so everyone on the cast we just we all know we're so lucky to be there and everyone's so grateful the first family you know i mean paige and uh and daniel um you know the four of us did a huge national tour last year and it was so much fun the you know for usually you get done with the show and even if you love your cast you don't need to see themselves you know next year um but this was this is a case where i just you know i love everybody on the set and it's because tyler chooses really really good people have the uh when the season two returned in a few weeks, right? Mm. I, oof, I don't think so. I think they're going to push it to January. They are. And I'm actually hoping. Yeah, a lot of shows I'm are hoping they push to January. Yeah, well, I mean, for well, here for us, I think it's a it's it's an interesting thing. And I and I was talking with Tyler about this about what was going to happen. And this is all way above my pay grade, so everything I'm saying right now is coming right out of my ass. So nobody take this like you know a quote. But you know, it's the show is doing so well. And Sisters is doing so well. And so it's really good. Like, you remember the old must-see TV, NBC? Oh, yeah. like you'd build a block and you'd yep. build a night. And that's how networks used to work. And they, they really understood that. And Scott, Scott Mills at, uh, at BT, he's so smart. And, I, and I, my guess is that what he's seeing is he's like, man, we got this, this foothold on Wednesday night. And if we let Sisters go first in November and start airing new episodes and then rerun the oval behind it. And then when the first half of the season in sisters ends, we flip it. We've been premiere, you know, we've been doing, you know, press and announcements for the, for the premiere of the oval all this time. Then the oval moves to nine We're we're, uh, you know, premiering new episodes, sisters is in reruns behind us. And we just kind of like leapfrog each other that way. You know, then you've got year round new programming from Tyler Perry, I think that's what they're doing. Or we got to edit this whole section out because I have no idea what I'm talking about. And that was just a bunch of hot air. But that's, no, that's my guess. It's not, well, but it makes sense. It makes it sense. It does. It, I really hope they do it, you know. And then I hope there's other BET shows that can come in. You know, what do you want to do? You know, there's not, you know, it's funny. People don't think like this anymore, you know, but they used to where you had shows you know, wanting other shows on other nights to do well, because as the network does well, you do well. It's like high tides raise all boats. And now everybody's just like, you know, this show and that show, and no one cares about the network and they only care about their, you know, Instagram feed and their, you know, their, how many followers the show has on Facebook. But, you know, there really is something, we have a loyal audience like Tyler's, there's something about you know, being able to build an audience and build 
entertainment around. You get one hit and that fosters a whole bunch of other shows. And that's what, you know, NBC back in the day is the best example, you know, when they, oh, yeah. when they had all their great shows, they were always developing new shows behind it, you know, like whether it was friends or Frasier or cheers or whatever. And then they would, you know, send that show to another night and then build off that show. And then you just, you know, you night after night, you start conquering. Well, you know, um, they did it at ABC, uh, you know, with, with all the Shonda Rhimes shows, you know, Shondaland, you know, like it was whatever yeah. night that was with the Grey's Anatomy stuff. Oh, Thursday night, so. Thursday night, yeah, they had her build a whole night. So smart. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier, you've done a lot of like TV role appearances, like Two Broke Girls, Mistresses. Like what's been like one of your favorites that like to this day it sticks out the most? Man, I love Two Broke because of the pressure. I mean, it was such, it, you know, that was that show. That, I mean, there was, I've never seen a live studio audience like that. So many studio execs. I mean, there was just so much, and it was a really, you know, it was a high octane show. And so it was, and I love the challenge of that. I really, I love Michael Patrick King, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people who are literally scared to death and probably still in therapy from, uh, from working with him. Um, the more he would yell at me, the more I liked it. I'd love, I loved him. I just, you know, I couldn't have had a better time on that show. Um, one of my favorite roles of all time, that I'm, the music I'm working on for the show right now is uh, uh, a, a brilliant writer creator named Kate Sargent wrote this ridiculous role on Castle. The name of the episode's The Final Frontier. And I play this washed up uh, sci-fi actor whose show got canceled a lot, you know, sort of like, you know, uh, art imitating life on, um, you know, Nathan Philly. And it was sort of like a, a play on that and, it, and their show that got canceled Firefly. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's just, it's such a funny role. It's so kind of out of control. And, um, I'm, um, you know, that's one of those, one of those roles that for I'm so like I'm glad that's on tape you know it's just like if anybody ever asked like what's one of your favorite roles I'm like yeah that Gabriel Winters on on Castle was pretty amazing but you know first season of Eureka I was so excited I was so happy I mean you know that was another show that was like had such potential to be just a runaway massive success um and you know that first season you know it, you know, record ratings that still hold today, you know, rabid fans, rave reviews. I mean, that's like, you know, there's these little sweet spots. You just kind of bounce around, you know. I watched an old movie that I did um, called uh, uh, The Last the Last Light. And it's a really esoteric kind of strange art film, this sort of strange psychological thriller, I guess you'd call it. But I hadn't seen it in forever. And it was just sort of on, I don't know, on Amazon. I kind of put it on for a second. I was like, you know what? It's kind of weird, but... It's kind of cool. And so, you know, when you have like a career like mine in which you've not been on like one show for 10 years doing 200 episodes, there's all these little moments, those highs and lows, you know, there's lots of great stuff that I did pilots and, you know, yeah. independent projects that never even came out, you know, that's just like, Oh, wish, wish the world could have seen that, but they just vanished, you know? And um, so I don't know, man, there's, there's lots of little moments and that's kind of the, you know, the, almost the moral of the story of my career is just, Keep going, hang in there. Always be really, really uh, grateful for when things are good, because you know it's feast or famine. There's always there's always dark days coming. Yeah. <clears throat> now you have a role coming out in um, American Pie Presents, also, right? <laughs> oh yeah. When's Woo! that coming out? 
Uh, that is October, same day, uh, that, that's the day, so October 5th is the Monday, right? So October yeah. 6th is American Pie. Um, and yeah, it's, it, uh, it's, it is exactly what it promises to be, which is one of those raunchy teen comedies. Um, it's, I, I, when I first read it, I was like, oh my God, this is like, you know, the shows that I grew up watching, uh, you know, like, like crazy movies like like Porky's was one of them which was just ridiculous yeah. and the original American Pie and you know Fast Times Original High is actually a great film um you know but it kind of sometimes falls into that sort of like raunchy teen comedy kind of thing but um the cast is so good Madison Pettis who plays my you know daughter you know she's like the lead of the movie and she's just a little powerhouse Lizzie Broadway is going to be a massive star um Sarah Rue from less than perfect fame is, you know, plays the principal. And I, I mean, if there's not a 10 minute outtakes of just her, I, that it's, it's a crime against film. I mean, Sarah was, was everything she was doing was so damn funny. Um, so and anyway, it, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's exactly what it, it promises to me and a very good version of it. Now, if you have young kids, I would strongly suggest, you know, maybe reading the parental warnings on this movie um, because it is, it is, it is not for the youngsters. And a lot of the, the, uh, the, the cast might be playing young, but the subject matter is very adult. So, yeah. Uh, Tell us a little about your band. I know you're ready. You're in a band and you play around. Well, you know, I've played music my whole life. Growing up in Berkeley was it was really, you know, one thing that was kind of great is like everybody, I mean, we all like, you know, had our dirt bikes and our skateboards and man, everybody had a guitar and an electric guitar. And it was, you know, the height of the eighties. I mean, like when, you know, pre hair metal, like, like, you know, kind of on the way to hair metal, but like, you know, we're talking like the Iron Maidens and the Metallicas and the, you know, Metallica was Bay Area. And there was a guitarist by the name of Joe Satriani who taught uh, what is now Martin Luther King Boulevard, but was Grove, Corner of Rosen Grove, was this little dingy secondhand guitar store. And we all basically were just lining up, taking lessons from this guy. You know, he played in this kind of funky little pop trio called The Squares, and we'd go see him play. And you'd go into lessons with him, and you'd kind of look at your friends and go, hey, I think our guitar teacher's better than Randy Rhodes and Eddie Van Halen and all of them our heroes and we're like yeah we're kind of thinking the same thing it's kind of weird it's too bad he has to teach us eruption and you know suicide <laughs> solution instead of uh instead of actually you know being a, a rock god himself which thank goodness he became one um but um so yeah and so i started playing and i played a ton all through high school i kind of didn't do much when i was with in within um in college you know, I had my guitar with me. I'd play a little bit, but I wasn't really doing much. And then what was so funny is when I started modeling and I came to LA, you know, every, you know, model actor guy has his guitars, you know, acoustic and sitting there trying to be cool, learning to play guitar. And there were a bunch of guys who were kind of trying to play music. And the next thing I know, like four of us end up in a band that really takes off and gains a ton of momentum. And we were headlining all over the Sunset Strip and, but, you know, bands are tough, man. Bands are like marriages, and uh, they, they can easily fall apart, and the music business is brutal. And, um, you know, 
as we were basically every time we were about to get signed there'd be some sort of breakup in the band some sort of mayhem and um when i finally did get signed uh you know it was with a french label that wanted to sign an american rock band but then they wanted to like produce all the music and it just it all you know it just all kind of yeah. uh, sounds like a movie it is a movie. Um, oh, it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot. Trust me, Kate Sargent, who I was telling you about, was uh, she wants to write the movie because I started telling her about the history of the band. But it was, um, yeah, and so, I, I, but I, I just love it. I'm sitting here right now in the new music studio I just built, you know, and I've just, I'm looking at all these guitars and amps and stuff, and it's a great way to tell stories. It's a great kind of outlet. Again, I mean, you know, I feel really bad for actors who don't have anything else who like literally they have their acting craft and that defines who they are. Um, because the world is so much more interesting than that. And not that I don't love the industry and I don't love acting and making movies and stuff, but it's like, if that was all I had, I'd be so sad. And just mm -hmm. because m maybe I'll get a song on this, you know, this independent series, a soundtrack or, Maybe I'll record a few more songs and someone will play it on a radio somewhere, or maybe I won't. It just doesn't matter. You know, I've found like all these old tapes of us, you know, headlining all these shows and it was so much fun. It was such a great experience, but you know, you can't really measure success by whether you made it and had a hit song or anything like that. It's really just, again, just part of the journey. Yeah. And if you're having fun. So right. much fun. Too much right. fun. Oh right. my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, uh, Ed, how can, uh, lastly, how can the listeners find you on uh, social media? I'm at Edward Quinn on Twitter and Instagram. I think I'm at Ed Quinn on Facebook. It's a, it's a blue check, you know, uh, certified account. So you, you'll be able to find it. Yeah. Um, Instagram is my main one though. You know, I, I, most of my stuff I just send to, uh, Instagram and, and, um, and Facebook from my, or, or to Twitter and, Facebook from my Instagram account just yeah. because uh, I don't know. That's when I, when I open my phone to, to rot my brain, that's the one I pick up. So yeah. Ed, this was fun, man. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> it was a ton of fun. I'll do it again soon. All right. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, everybody. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the Man Cave Chronicles podcast. I finally get my man cave. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the MCC Podcast. And our website, themccpodcast.com. Until next time. Until next time.